Dr. Seuss Podcast at drseusspodcast.com. I'm Brian Whitman, along with my friend, Dr. Stuart Fishbein. We are available on iTunes. Subscribe to the feed on iTunes and give Dr. Stu five stars. I mean, the man is a doctor. Give him five stars. Write a nice review. DrStuspodcast.com. A lot of blogs, YouTube videos. Click right over. Peruse the website. There's a lot on that site, Dr. Stu. There is, Brian, and I want to just say a couple of things before we get into our topic today. Yes, I'm going to actually, I think, you know, here, sit over here and be more comfortable. Oh, come on, sit next to me. Good. Well, All right, great. Not um, exactly next to you. We but. on the Dr. Stu Podcast Show like to often, well, that's sort of my nature, is to challenge conventional thinking. We yes. all We all know that, and sort of, uh, that's why we have a podcast, because otherwise, how would anybody know what non-conventional people are thinking? I sometimes describe you to friends as an anti-establishment kind of guy. Well, uh, yeah, I, if, you, if anybody had read Animal Farm by George Orwell. I have not read Animal Farm. You have I, not? You didn't, wasn't mandatory reading in like 7th or 8th grade? I've read 1984. Did, did Orwell write Animal Farm too? Or am I, do I have the I wrong believe guy? he did. Have you ever well, read? Producer that? Randy's going to check that out. Have you while ever we read that. The Pig Man by Paul Zindel? No, I haven't. All right. It's about a high school teacher uh, who my mom was a student uh, of. Oh, by the way, oh, nothing but George Orwell. Um, oh, the book was published on my birthday. August 17th in 1945. So you were born that, in 1945? That makes you 67 years old. No, it was published on August 17th, I should say. Oh. I'm, I'm, I'm 41. Uh, you know, people all the time, they hear me, they say, Brian, are you 83, 84? You don't look a day over 61. No, thank you. I'm 41 on the nose. Yeah. So, uh, Animal Farm, you were saying. Yeah, I was saying that you said that I'm sort of non-conventional. Anti-establishment. Anti-establishment. Well, yeah, I don't want to be known as the sheep. And I certainly don't want to be known as a pig, and I don't want to be known as a wolf or a goat. I am not somebody that can sit on the farm and be told to do things that don't make sense to me. And neither are you, Brian Whitman. I know this for a fact. I know that you are not a conformist either. I'm not. Uh, I'm probably a little more of a follower than you are. You're not a follower. Well, you know, I am a follower because in some issues, because, like, I try not to... I try to set a good example for my kids when there are things to follow that make sense to follow, like speed limits or not crossing the street uh, in the middle of the road, right, that sort are, of thing. Those are common. I yes. mean, look, I'm a follower, too, when, when, the, when the law says don't put a knife in someone's heart. You know, I'm a follower with that, too. Right. But I mean, but on those borderline things, like, for example, in your practice, you're not a follower. You're the kind of guy, Dr. Stu's podcast has developed a theme here at the 21st of Dr. Stu's podcast, I, th- I think those who listen know mm-hmm. that you are a guy that just because the medical establishment says do it this way, you don't just accept it on face value. And, I don't, and I don't want our listeners to accept things on face value anymore. In one of our previous podcasts, we talked about how science is being corrupted and how things are being skewed or depending on who's sponsoring or whose grant money is uh, sponsoring the research, the outcomes may be affected by that. You see this not uncommonly across the board in, in healthcare. We just talked recently about an article that said uh, that five-minute APGAR scores in babies born at home is a 10 times greater risk of having a zero APGAR score. Right. And based on that press release that came out, a month before the article came out, 
a lot of damage was done before anyone had a chance to look at that critically. And that brings up, it was really interesting. I heard an interesting quote attributed to Winston Churchill, which I just love. Okay. And I'd like to share it with my listeners. All right. Basically, it goes like this. This was, obviously, if it's attributed to Winston Churchill, it's from, you know, a long time ago. Right. He's, He's dead now, isn't he? He is dead. And but right. Is his bus still in the White House, or did that get removed? I didn't know it was ever there. Obama didn't like it there. Oh, he moved it. Colonialism. But we're yes, not going to, we're not, I'm, I'm getting off track here. But by the way, don't feel, you know, sometimes Dr. Seuss said to me before the show, he said, you know, I don't want to bash Obama all the time. Yeah, I, I, but it's such an easy target. Well, you know, then go for it if you okay. want to. Well, anyway. I'll, I'll be here to defend him if necessary. We're going to get to something about that in a minute too. But So what did Winston Churchill say? He said, a lie is halfway around the world before the truth leaves the starting line. Oh, I love that. So... You know, somebody's accused of some uh, embezzlement. Love that. And that's on the front page of the New York Times. Well, and then two months later, the charges are dropped and he's not guilty of anything. Doesn't matter. The damage is so far done. And with today's internet and instant uh, social media, you could change that caveat to say that lie is around the world two or three times before... The, Truth gets to the starting line. I have said on my morning radio show here in Los Angeles on AM 870, The Answer, so please tune in. I have said probably half a dozen times, in today's world, an accusation is a conviction. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, a it mere accusation can destroy someone's life. And it's a guilty verdict in the court of public opinion too often. Yeah. I've always wondered, you know, I. I am for anonymity for victims of crime. So, in other words, if someone... All, all crime victims or just certain sort of sexual... Well, minors crime. or sexual crimes, I think they should, their anonymity should be maintained. But I also sort of... I'm, and I'm, and I'm pro-law uh, enforcement, but I think it's ridiculous that someone is accused of something and their name is public record. Until you're convicted of something, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be fair to protect their anonymity as well? Right, if you're going to withhold the victim's name, withhold the suspect's name. Yeah, until you're certain that this guy is convicted or guilty or, you know, maybe even charged with a crime so that at some point there's, you know, there's public record and you charge with a crime. But when someone is being arrested or suspected or brought in for court, that stuff should be an uh, anonymous. It's it not a terrible point. I mean, we talk about sexual crimes, obviously you want to protect people's privacy, but intellectually, there's no shame in being a victim. If you are victimized, an intellectual person will not see any shame or cast any shame upon you because you were an innocent victim of a crime. But if you're a suspect or an accused suspect, there certainly is shame associated with that. So what you're saying is it would almost be more important to protect the anonymity of the suspect as opposed to the I don't know victim. if I'm saying that, but I am saying you've raised quite an interesting point. I sort of agree with it. Okay. So we're going to get to some other stuff there. But anyway, I just, that's just why my brain was just off on a tangent. Yeah. And I'm in a really good mood today, Brian. And do you want to know why I'm in uh, a really good mood today? I think I know why, but go ahead and tell Randy Wang and, and the, uh, the entire listening audience of Dr. Stu's podcast just why you're in a great you mood. You know what? Sometimes it's great to have a hobby or an interest outside of what you do in your work because it can make your life that much more interesting and that, and that much better. And last night, of course, I was with one of my stepsons, Andy, and we were at Staples Center for the L.A. Kings game. How fun. And you know how big an L.A. Kings fan I am. And if, we were, they, if they lose, you're bummed, and if they win, you're on cloud nine. We were, we were, we were uh, playing the hated 
San Jose Sharks. Ooh, what a rivalry. We, it's a big rivalry now because three years ago they beat us in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and last year we knocked them out of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and Sharks have the best record in hockey right now, and Kings were behind one to nothing. They were behind two to one. They were behind three to two. They tied it up with about seven minutes to go in the game, and then Anze Kopitar on a laser shot from the slot won the game in overtime, and it changes my mood entirely. If the Kings had lost that game, I would have gone to bed last night sad, and I would have woke up this morning not wanting to look at the highlights and all that stuff. Today, I'm happy and jazzed and looking forward to Saturday's game, That's all because we won. Are you now, Seriously, serious question. Is that, is that bad? Am well, I, am well, you're the doctor, so I'm asking you. I'm not the psychiatrist. Uh, well, but okay. Randy, oh, Randy, you're I, the psychiatrist. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. you guys are in trouble now. Yeah, then we're in trouble. Are you really that is your mood really that affected by the outcome of professional sport competitions? Uh, and so, is that healthy? Well, you know, no, it's probably not necessarily healthy because your team doesn't only one team usually ends up winning when it's all over and done. Well, it's 50 so that 50. Means, one's got to win. That means 95% of people are unhappy most of the time. Right. If you're a Kings fan for a while, it was, well, the percentages were pretty high. Yeah, here. we went 45 years without winning anything. Well, that's what I mean. <laughs> you know, and I've known you for a long time. I don't think you were in a bad mood for 45 no, years. No, but it's just when you're really excited about something, <laughs> it really is fun. So, yeah. anyway, that makes a difference. And I think it just, in some ways, whether it's exercise, whether it's writing, reading, uh, socializing. It's always good to have something out there that gives you an adrenaline rush. Let it's got to be healthy and happy to you do know, that. Let me ask you, because we do talk here on Dr. Stu's podcast. We talk a lot about home birthing. We talk about the culture of home birthing. We talk about the alternative of home birthing. We talk about informed consent and how ladies who are pregnant are well served to have more information about the option of having their baby outside of a hospital. But you are a doctor, and I sometimes like to talk to you about other stuff unrelated to home birthing or pregnancy but you're an OBGYN let me ask you about about hobbies let me ask you about exercise let well, me ask you about adrenaline uh, there are a million ways that a person can get endorphins to be released in their brain right and and uh, I guess sometimes folks can take it to an extreme but but a good moderated healthy hobby is probably pretty high on the list of healthy things to do, especially for an adult person. Well, you know, Brian, that I always have an opinion about something. It may not be an expert opinion, but I always have an opinion. Sure, I have an opinion about a lot of stuff, and I'm an expert at nothing. Well, that's not true. You're an expert at what you're doing right now. Right, but I mean... I, but, and I would, and, sing, I would sing your praises to the heavens. But aren't you getting back to the hobby issue... Uh, I was reading something recently, I think it was in the newspaper or on the internet, it wasn't in a journal or anything, about how children today and young people today have no hobbies. You know, they're not building models, they're not launching rockets, they're not having model trains, they, they, they basically spend time on social media or on uh, video games. Is that a valid hobby? No, uh, that's too. They have hobbies on Facebook. They well, like they play the games and like you know there's kids they play oh, the farming like, uh, on like the farming like or they well, do I, the jewel I, I, hunting. I play the game shows. I play the prices right on Facebook all the See, time. See, here's one right here. But no, I don't know. No that, I don't know that that would be a definition of a hobby. But I'm not out there <laughs> knitting a sweater for anybody. Randy, that's a hobby. Go to Wikipedia uh-huh. and look up the definition of hobby and let's see how we're doing. Yeah, that's it. interesting because it would seem to me, Doctor Stu, as he looks that up, a hobby in the traditional sense would be running or or woodworking. Would woodworking, four H club. Um, far, you know, uh, gardening, quilting, quilting, right, baking. Yes. All right. So, what does it say? 
A hobby is a regular activity that is done for pleasure. Oh, I have one of those during one's leisure time. Oh, all right, okay. I have a hobby collecting that I do things. Too yeah, much. baseball cards would be a hobby. I used to collect political memorabilia. I had for ex- <laughs> I. Randy, why do you laugh at me? It's rude. And Dr. Stu, you're laughing at me, and you're a doctor. Please don't laugh. Uh, it, I was not laughing at you, Brian. I was me. laughing with, with you. Me, right? Because it's one thing to make your hobby flying a kite or playing baseball. Your hobby is collecting Bill Clinton mugs. Well, and going back to JFK, my other one that Randy likes to laugh at, I collect coffee mugs. I love coffee mugs. So I'll go on eBay and I'll find an old Denny's mug from 1975. <laughs> well, you know what? Wait, wait. Stop laughing. Stop He's laughing. laughing. That's, not, uh, that's nice. not fair because I will tell you that my mom, God rest her soul. Yes was a collector of what are called Toby mugs. Does any do you guys know I, what Toby mugs no, are? No, I don't. No. Toby mugs are mugs made by a company in England that have that are carved in the faces of all different literary characters. And my mom probably had over 200 of them. So she must have been an avid reader. Well, my, yeah, my mom was an educator. She was a she was a teacher right. and she taught English. Okay. Uh, so yes, she right. was an educator. And she had collected them, and my dad still has the collection in a glass case. My sister's got some of them now because there isn't room in my dad's place for all of them. Yeah, but how nice to have a but, piece of that. But it was a great hobby for her. And everywhere they traveled, they would find a Toby mug for that area. Isn't that It nice? was like a Beanie Baby thing, for the, but for real things back Way back when. Uh, right. You, know, so, beanie, it, it, you went traveled, you got a beanie baby from England, you got a beanie baby. Or, or yeah. you know, the lower end example, the snow globe. You know, you go to the Philippines and you got to get a snow globe. Yeah, my parents went to Mexico and all I got were these painted maracas. Yeah, that well, that's exactly right. <laughs> no, but the hobbies really, I mean, you know, from a clinical perspective, because you are Dr. Stu, from a clinical perspective, let me ask you this. When ladies become pregnant... Do you, depending upon what the hobby is, the hobby might be one that involves a lot of physical exertion that might not be healthy for a pregnant woman. Do you advise during the term of a pregnancy for women to maintain their hobbies as long as it's still physically something that is okay to do? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. That that to me is a no-brainer. If you have something that brings you pleasure, and by the way, I don't think many people would call a hobby something that doesn't bring you pleasure. So, yes, if you can, and you, and a lot of hobbies, again, don't require physical activity. Right. Right. They could be crossword puzzles. They could be knitting. Yep. They could be reading. Yep. Uh, and especially pregnant women are fond of reading book after book after book. Of, I, I, I watch the game show network. Is that a hobby or no? Just sitting on the couch. No, that would not be considered a hobby. What about eating Doritos? I eat a lot of Doritos while I watch the game show network. Do you make a game of it or you just... No, but if you bite the Doritos into small shapes and, uh, and then put them on the shelf, I have, that would be a hobby. You know what I do? I bite Doritos so that they assume the shape of the Virgin Mary. And then I collect them. And when people come to the house, I say, look, I found a Dorito in the bag that looks like the Virgin Mary. Oh, my God. I'm I'm a sick person. (laughs) No, just don't just don't bite your Dorito in the shape of a handgun. Yeah, because because then you're going to be banned. You'll be banned from from radio and television. Yeah, They kick out everywhere. If you you do that now. Hey, wait, but, but one more hobby that that I think we could call a hobby. Yeah. Is is animal husbandry and, you know, having horses or dogs or cats. You've got the horses. I've got the dogs. And turns out Randy. Congratulations to you, Randy. Randy has a new member of his family who happens to be sleeping right next to my shoulder. I got a cat. Yeah, you got a cat named Jamie. That's right. I picked her up last week. I am having a freaking blast. It's a literal, I use this word a lot, so it doesn't hold a lot of water with me, but it's a life-changing experience going from sitting in this apartment by myself 
to having a companion. Yes, you are day. now a parent. Yeah, pretty much. Well, you know, I it's have a shared... surrogate parent, and I don't want to. I don't. Oh I don't... no, 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 no! Oh no, you don't. Randy is the father of a four-legged child. I have said I have four-legged children. They're my dogs. And we have talked here on your podcast, Dr. Stu, about the clinical, the therapeutic benefits, how it lowers one's blood pressure to have a pet in the home, to, to pet an animal, to stroke an animal, to cuddle with an animal. That lowers the blood pressure. Yeah, Randy already says that uh, Jamie already curls up with him. At night, and I can guarantee you that. Yeah, and by the way, Jamie, that it helps elderly people. Yep. They live longer when I, they have pets. I, I just want to point out, right. ja- Jamie is his landlord. The cat is. Uh, is <laughs> Frank Morris is the cat. Oh yeah, no, Jamie's the cat. Jamie's all right, the yeah, cat. all right, no, right. No, but it really does, right? I mean, it really to have that, especially Randy with the problems he had at Kaiser and the rosacea, and you know, he tried to shoot himself a couple of weeks ago here live on your podcast to to introduce a a, a four legged child into the equation i think is nothing but positive now randy you're gonna have to put the uh you're gonna have to move the handgun out of the apartment now yeah because jamie you don't want the jamie playing with the hand well she doesn't know what the safe combination is. well there's a there's a couple rules about cats by the way i just want to go through all right let me know because i'm brand new at this i don't know what i'm doing but so far i think we're doing pretty first of all if you want to be accepted socially never have more than two I have learned this. And <laughs> okay. when I was at, you know, I was at the shelter, the, the woman who was helping me is like, you know, you should probably get two. I'm like, two's real close to three. And once you hear three, it's real close to five. Yes, and then it's over. Yeah, well, then you're a cat, then you're I, cat lady. And, yes, and you can't Randy. Be- I have it. My, I live out in Northridge and I have seven. I have 17 cats. Oh, 17. Yeah, and if you want a few of those, um, you could take... Right, that's the sounds they're (laughs) making back at the house. If you want to take a few off my hands, I have 17 in age from three months to 19. And a cat can live a long time, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Uh, How many cats do you have, cat lady? I have 17 cats, and they all live in my apartment in Northridge. Do you have a litter box for your 17 cats? Not one. (laughs) So you have full-blown toxoplasmosis then i don't even know what that is that's when a cat lady lives in so much cat poop Filth. that the cat poop starts affecting her brain now what are your doctor dr Stu? what is <laughs> you it? always say that is it? Well, i'd like to remind He's people right okay. you know that they're looking it says dr Stu's podcast.com they're on itunes it says dr Stu's podcast they probably put it together you're a doctor yeah i would think i would think so but i think sometimes in the conversations people might confuse for they might think oh I'm the doctor. You know, in hearing the dialogue, they think, oh, Brian must be the doctor because he's the one making all the clinical diagnosis. Hey, he, Brian, yeah. uh, just to let you know, yeah. and I've heard from every person that listens to the show, yeah. nobody thinks you're the doctor. Okay, well, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, let me ask you, animals, and, I, and, and you're not a vet, but you probably um, probably know some veterinarians because, you know, doctors are doctors, right? Well, I have pets, so you, I, know my, uh, I know my veterinarian. Dr. Stu, do you recommend home birthing for cats? I recommend home birthing. Yeah. Well, by the way, when a cat. I recommend, it would, I would say that home birthing for your cat is physically impossible. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, okay. you, your cat said, has already had its uh, surgery. It's so. the law. You've said when mammals, other than humans, go and have babies, like cats, for example, what they go off to a quiet place and they do it sort of in a solitary way, don't they? That's correct. And by the way, if a cat is in labor, even if the babe, one of the one of the babies, uh, kittens is halfway out, right? And you disrupt their labor by screaming or opening the door or, or you know moving a furniture or making noise. They'll get up with the half the baby hanging out and run to find a safe place to a more peaceful place. That's correct. Isn't that unbelievable? 
well, uh, instinct. No, it's in, it's it's built in. It's not. I wouldn't find it when you say it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable to you, right? I mean, but it seems perfectly normal to me. Yeah, it's just so natural, though. It's just so it's so wonderful that that they would do that. That that a mammal like a cat would desire that their babies be born into peace into serenity you know and i i as uh, uh, you know i'm i'm in my mid-50s now and i would i've never had a pet that's given birth but i would love to someday have a pet that i get to watch and nurture and and see give birth sometime before i die i mean i have luckily i have two horses two mares right that i keep up uh, up in uh um, in ventura well in ventura county i keep them up in ventura county and, right and um you know, someday if I ever had a space and the time, maybe I would love to breed one of them just oh. for the idea of see, not with me, but so you'd bring a stud in. Yeah, I'd have to. Well, actually, they just do inseminations these days. <laughs> you would, right? You know, to me, yeah, that's just the way. When you breed horses now, it's really rare to have a stud mount the horse. It's like they milk the stud and then they sell the semen all across the country. You can buy frozen semen. Across the country, you know, my, my, there's a lot of money in horse semen. There is a lot of money in horse semen. Well, I'll tell you, a lot more than the thirty-five bucks you got. You know, <laughs> mine's on eBay right now. I tell you, I have a buy it now option four seventy-nine, four dollars and seventy-nine cents. You can buy my semen right now on eBay. Uh, you, you know the reason <laughs> I love return policy. I, 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 there is no return policy. <laughs> my moxie and my biddy are my dachshunds. I love them, and they're both uh, fixed. And, of course, they're both girls, and, and they're 12 years old, and they're mature, and they're my life, and I love them. And I often hold them in my arms, and I talk to them about when they were little babies, how they came out in the litter, and they were the cutest little things. I didn't see them born, but they don't know that. I just tell them that right. anyway, right? But the idea of seeing them give birth to me, and again, I have some hang-ups, frightens me because I have the feeling in my mind or the perception that it would be painful. Now, let's extrapolate this to human birth. Obviously, as an OBGYN, you've seen this thousands of times. I have it in my mind, and I think a lot of guys do, that childbirth is scary to watch or it's or there's pain involved, and in some sense, it's violent. It's violent and it's painful, very much like uh, Grand Theft Auto. Though. Well, a little different than that. I mean, a little different than that. <laughs> okay. But but I, I get the feeling that you know to see one of my puppies, you know, kind of you know moaning and and giving birth and. You know, and the and and the puppies are coming out, or you know, and obviously on a much more serious note, human, a human baby is coming out. There's something very stressful. I think I've never seen it happen, but I think for me, I might be the kind of guy who might have to leave the room because I'm so neurotic, and I would think it's painful. And do you encounter that sometimes with a lot of well, husbands with a I lot would, of I would male partners? Me personally, I would encounter that. When the Kings are clinging to a one-goal lead and they're shorthanded with two minutes left in the game. That's how you that's see that. extremely anxiety-provoking and painful to watch that sort of thing. And yeah. is that the type of bedside manner you bring to the client? <laughs> like when she's sitting there, you no, go, Brian, I, I, I understand you're anxious, but imagine it's the third period and the Kings are down by one. <laughs> you, you don't do that, do you? No, I don't do okay, that. Okay, all right, all right. I only do that with you. Right, okay. Uh, listen, it's designed to be painful, all right? It's designed... You know, as we said, pain has a benefit. Pain causes women to change and move their position. It causes them to release things that may help the baby in labor. Is it is it something that's hard to watch? Yeah, for some people, it's hard to watch. For you, but though, I think culturally, it's hard to watch for you. No, it's not. It's 
well, suffering is hard to watch, but, sure. but I, again, I don't consider the pain of labor to be equivalent to suffering from pain. It's a different perspective. Someone with a chronic illness or metastatic cancer who's got chronic pain, yeah. that is hard for me to watch. Yeah, for anybody. Labor pain is something where it's a means to an end, and I don't, and I don't see it that way. And we are culturally, we've been culturally conditioned to be distance ourselves from birth. And so when you describe that, you know, the only births that you've ever seen, unless you go, now YouTube, YouTube has made a, a change in the culture because people can actually watch several births before they, before they give birth. Husbands can watch, boyfriends can watch. But before that, birth was a secret. No, birth was something that most men never saw except what they saw on TV, which is the, you know, screaming down the hallway sort of thing or the blood all over the place. And so it freaks people out. Right, the baby's there, they clean the room and they call the husband in. But it was perfectly normal 50, 100 years ago for birth to take place in the household. Dr. Sue, let me ask you a question. We've talked, we've had here on the podcast, uh, some wonderful uh, guests, doulas, midwives. We've had them come on here, sit with us. We've had great conversations. And I've asked them sometimes about how their feelings about home birth or about birth in general changed after they had a baby. This is, is the first time I've thought to ask you this. You're an OBGYN, you're a guy. Have you ever, during the decades you've been doing this, wondered, and I'm not trying to be funny, or even desired that you could know how it might feel to deliver a baby so that you could appreciate what the client, the lady you're caring for, is going through? Is that a strange question? No, it's not a strange question, but the answer would be no. Uh, I've never wanted to experience that myself. You know, I, I'm. Have you wondered about? What I, I don't might, have that any sort of ambiguity about that. Have you I, wondered what it might feel like? Well, I can empathize with the feeling, and you know, I, I, there are feelings that you have when you have very bad stomach cramps. It, again, I don't want to. I don't want to get in trouble with my with my midwife colleagues or my clients of by course. saying that I could possibly know what it's like. But right. if you've got, if you're very constipated if you have to bear down if it's hurting your bottom a lot of pressure pressure and sometimes pain i mean i yeah i don't know about you or randy but occasionally yeah you know you can have a bowel movement that that no, I, hurts I, I get it i get it okay i've had some now, labors back there believe you but, me yeah well <laughs> i know i saw the plunger and all the other stuff back there <laughs> no but, but really I, and truly i mean i i've wondered so, you know sometimes you talk to a cardiologist for example uh you know a, a a man or a woman who might be a cardiologist and they've never had any sort of procedure. well thank god they've never had like a procedure or a crushing chest pain or an elephant sitting on their chest knock on type wood. thing you don't and, need to have that and then they go in for like an angioplasty or something and they have somewhat of a different perspective Perspective about how the patient or the client that they deal with on a daily basis now feels. And I wonder, as a male in obstetrics and gynecology, if you sometimes feel that you would like to experience what they're experiencing. Not that it, obviously you're. No, I think the human. I think a human has the capacity for complete empathy on things like that. And I would even argue that there are many women midwives or nurses or female doctors who've never had a child. Right. And just because they're female, does that make them more empathetic than a, than a male? Of course I not. think everybody has got their qualification. What makes me feel good about what I do and what I get praises for is that I am empathetic and I do spend time with people and I do try to think how are they thinking and, and counsel them in such a way that I'm covering all those bases. Yeah, right. But I don't think I need personally 
and nor do I you ask me if I have a desire to have that feeling no I mean I'm a cancer survivor but that I don't think that makes me more empathetic to somebody with metastatic cancer who's dying from their cancer when I've been you know I had cancer I had surgery I had radiation and I'm cured right and you know I can list myself as a cancer survivor. Maybe it's another group I can belong to, another Facebook group or something. Another hobby but, for you? Well, no. No, uh, right, no you don't want a hobby with yeah, that. Right, but right. but uh, I don't need to think that, I don't know that that made me more empathetic. I think when I, I was young when I had it, I think that it made me, uh, I had no fears of mortality at that time. Yeah. I didn't think that I was going to, I was probably naive. Yeah, okay. right. But I was young and that's typical. When you get older, I think your empathy changes, your wisdom changes. All these things you acquire over time. Do you know, Dr. Stu, and, and, and this is the last question about this. We'll move on to something else. Do you know what percentage of uh, doctors who specialize in obstetrics and gynecology are men versus women? Is well, it, the ratio has changed dramatically. Has it really? When I first started in the early 80s, it was probably 80, 20 men. Yeah, right. And it's probably... I'm sorry, 80% men. 80% men. Oh, wow. And by now... It is probably 80 to 90% women yeah. going into the field. Wow, so you've seen quite that change during your it's time. Been a, it's been a dramatic change. Yeah, right, yeah. That's right. very interesting. Yep. Well, and, and, and one of the things that we often talk about, the clinical side of this, and we have great conversations about it, one of the things we often don't talk about is Dr. Stu has, uh, along with being a physician, the great uh, sort of... Um, responsibility of running an office and now we'll just take a couple of minutes that we are a month into Obamacare I guess you got a letter because you ensure uh, through your practice a number of folks who work for you and things seem to be changing here with Obamacare for the better or the worse dead silence doesn't even need an answer okay uh, so you uh, know you know where I'm coming from I'm gonna predict you think it's for the worst Ding, 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 okay, ding, did I get it right? Ding, did I get it right? Okay, I did. Right. And you have a letter to prove it. You have a letter to prove that. It's I don't. I don't need a letter. I just have to. You have to listen. <laughs> there you go. You just have to listen to the new. Randy's always on top of our sound effects. He really. You know. He's the best. <laughs> Wake up, Randy. <laughs> I'm too busy looking. Uh, no, this is the letter. This is the letter that I got. Uh, you know, again, I remember the sequester, and I remember the government shutdown, and the debt, and ceiling. I remember the thing about taxes and. If you were going to, oh, taxes were only going to go up on the rich, and if you made under two hundred fifty thousand dollars, your taxes weren't going to go up. And this was the big deal about you know the whole thing where uh, the Republicans gave in and and they allowed taxes to go up on the the top one percent of and, wage earners and, they, and all that they stuff. They made a deal with Obama. They made a deal. So here's a letter I got. It's not that dramatic, but it's just another sign of the times. It's from Blue Shield of California, and it says. We know you have a choice of health plans, when we, and we appreciate your business. Oh, okay. In May 2013, we began notifying our customers of new taxes that take effect in 2014 as a result of the Affordable Care Act. Mm. Obamacare. Yeah. Right. This notification provides more detail about how these upcoming taxes will affect your business. Let's see. Uh, I'm going to have a 2.3% of my dues and premiums tax. That's called the health insurer tax. Then there's a transitional reinsurance tax. Okay. That's another 1.3%. Forgive on what me. We're paying. Uh, are these all increases? These are all, yeah. Yeah, okay. All They're right. all increases. It's 1.3% of what our premiums are. I see. So if we're paying $1,000 a month in premiums, it'd be another 13 bucks. Okay. But we're paying a lot more than $1,000. Right. Anyway. Uh, exchange tax, which will be upon renewal in 2014, will be 0.2% of the dues. 
and risk adjustment tax will be an increase of 0.02%. So that adds up to 3.6782 to 3.82% tax. And, and the man did that all without a calculator. Yeah, and that is not including what our premium is going to go up. Yeah, right, of course. All right, this is just to tell us that there's almost 4% of taxes, which I thought was only going to go up on people over who made over $250,000. And this is for you to ensure the staff that works for you in the office. Correct. Right, right, That's right. correct. Wow. Which includes me. Yeah, which includes you, of right. course. Right. right. Unbelievable. But who pays this? Not my staff. Your, your patients, your... No. I pay this. Oh, right. Okay, the, but... The group of doctors that I work with pays this. Can I ask you a personal question? Yes. Have you had to, and then we'll wrap it up here, we'll come back for another exciting edition of Dr. Stu's podcast. Have yeah, because we didn't, we didn't even get to the... No, <laughs> to the we spent a lot of time talking I about... I know, this is a good, this one goes, this it, is a lead in for part two. Yeah, okay. we're having a lot of fun here. Have you had to, and, and you cannot answer, but I think you will because you're an honest guy. Have you had to increase the cost for the service that you provide to the patients and the clients that you see because of Obamacare? Have you implemented during this time any increases in costs that you've passed on to consumers in your practice? Not yet. All right. But I'm in a fortunate position where because I don't take insurance, all right, I could increase my charges to people. Right. Bad part is physicians who are in HMOs or, or take Obamacare or take Medicare or take Medicaid, they're told what they can do. So the only way they can increase their revenue is to do one of two things. See more patients hmm. and do more procedures, that sort of thing. Yeah, for whom they really don't have time or to see. Start to sell stuff out of their office. Oh, no. And you, you don't know, mean like, like Amway. Like vitamins or right, right. hormones and become basically, you know, promoting stuff that they probably know is the same thing that you could get at Trader Joe's, but they're going to sell it in their office because they can have a markup and make some money. And doctors are getting into this stuff all the time. Brian, OB, what did OB you say? You have, a, you have a Viagra pen and a Cialis pen yeah, and every, a Levitra pen? Yeah, I have a notepad that says Celebrex on it. The doctor... I'm not talking about that sort of thing, though. <laughs> right. yeah, okay. I'm talking about like doing the, things the, outside of their specialty, like, you know, like an obstetrician selling... Uh, vitamins Supp or, or, or an internist having a laser hair removal specialist in their oh, office. Yeah, right, right. Those sort of things. Because how else can you increase your revenue? Because your rent goes up, your overhead goes up, your costs of con uh, complying with Affordable <laughs> Care Act are going up, and you can't raise your fees. Yeah, right. I mean, you just think about it. If I put it in simple terms, if you're a grocer and you need to sell apples at 10 cents a piece in order to break even, you want to sell them at 12 or 13 cents for to, profit, to right? profit, right? If the government comes along and says you can sell apples for eight cents, you're losing two cents per apple. You don't make that up by selling more apples. Now. You'd get out of the apple business. You'd get out of the apple business, right? right. right. So right. you're saying, or you'd start doing laser hair removal in the back yeah, of the grocery right. store. So what happened right. to me? Uh, like, I'll go to the dermatologist <laughs> to check on my stupid rosacea, and she'll say, "Hey, by the way, you want some liposuction?" Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's an extreme example. But there are, you know. Well, take a look at them. I don't know how. Yeah, no, but the, I'm but, kidding. But I have I to tell you, you. The, the plastic surgeons and stuff—they're not suffering yet. And and again, there is going to be two tiers of healthcare. There's no question about it. People are going to want to be able to have access sooner rather than later. So they're going to go around and they're going to negotiate cash prices with doctors. And doctors are going to be willing to do that. And then instead of waiting three or four weeks for your procedure, your ultrasound, or your your x-ray, your mammogram, you'll be able to get in sooner and pay cash. And listen, doctors will be thrilled to take $50 cash as opposed to getting 
$42 or even $58. And going through the hassle but having of billing, to go billing and, and rebilling. And, right. and, then, and then you have to meet your deductible and then sending you a bill. And you decide not to pay it for three months. And they have to pay a stamp every month. And then eventually they, they make no money at all. Maybe Plus they have to hire a biller. I'm on a roll, so stop. Maybe it's uh, time to... Oh, go. go no, no, you have to hire a biller. And then you have to pay her... Affordable Care Act insurance, yeah, to, right. Because she's working for you, <laughs> right. Except unless you only have her work twenty nine hours a month, right? And you know all these, it gets so complicated. Who wants this stuff? We all want the simple life. We want to be home with our cat sleeping on our chest, going. <sighs> <sighs> yeah, we do. Well, I don't know if I want to be making that sound. Oh, the cat makes that sound. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. So maybe it's time to bring back the door to door doctor. The home visit? Yeah. I'm, I'm cheap for the home you, visit. Give you 100 bucks. Come over and I'm, check me I'm out. I'm going to be doing a home visit this afternoon as soon as we're done with the Dr. Seuss podcast. Yeah, see that? I'm going to Palisades, and I'm going to see a, a client who had a baby, and we're going to hang out for an hour and uh, Isn't that check it out and yep. weigh the baby and make sure mom's okay and talk about uh, L.A. Kings or uh, cats. There or There you go. Or, uh, right. We're not going to be talking about affordable care act information. We're not going to be talking negatives. We're going to be talking all positive because yeah. what's better then bring it, bring it home your new baby. Yeah, that's great. Dr. Stu's podcast. You hear it here at drstuespodcast.com. You can go to iTunes and subscribe to the feed. Give them five stars. Write them a nice review. As always, it's great to see you. If you have a question for Dr. Stu, ask Dr. Stu at gmail.com. Ask Dr. Stu at gmail.com. Dr. Stu, always great to see you. You too, Brian. We'll see you soon. Go Kings. For Dr. Stuart Fishbein, I'm Brian Whitman. Thanks for joining us on Dr. Stu's podcast.